Wesley and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. And this is Wayne. Well, good morning, fellas. Hello, gentlemen. Have you slept off the uh, the hangover from the funnies yet? No. I mean, all those after parties. Yeah. <laughs> the older you get, the longer it takes to sleep off that hangover. Because <laughs> you wake up the next morning and you're like, you know what? I don't have a hangover. And then around two hours later, you're like, oh, there it is. I was I just still drunk when room. I woke up. Well, and I mean, this year with it being socially distanced, they're all Zoom ones. So you drink and you just pass out in your own bed. <laughs> On camera. Oh. Right. Well, I mean, you know, I, 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 just just in time for me to stop drinking from the funnies, I restarted to celebrate the announcement that Zack Snyder's Justice League is coming March 18th to HBO Max, a scant two weeks before the release of Godzilla vs. Kong on HBO Max. The, HBO Max is going to get hit hard by me in March. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it first, you know, I, I, and I'm going to go ahead and turn the Wayne filter on. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I'm not going to trash it. I know how excited Paul is for it. So excited. I am excited for Godzilla versus Kong. But well, and Godzilla versus Kong looks super good, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It does. I just don't understand, you know, if you're going to give King Kong a tool to use in his fight against Godzilla. Shouldn't it be a chainsaw? Shouldn't he have a giant chainsaw that he's using against Godzilla? But did that you not seems notice the thing to do. that his axe was actually one of Godzilla's like spine protrusions? I did not notice that. I didn't either. Yes, his axe is one of Godzilla's little spine protrusion things. That explains why it glows when Godzilla fires uh, nuclear like fire at him. So, you know, I know this is, we're, we're, we're pivoting off of Justice League, uh, but, you know, I have not actually seen, <laughs> I have not actually seen the previous Godzilla, um, and I know I need to because now I noticed that uh, the girl from Stranger Things, who plays Eleven, is in Godzilla vs. Kong, which makes that a direct sequel to the prior Godzilla King of the Monsters, um, so I guess I need to watch that now. It's not a terrible movie. <laughs> that's why I haven't watched it, yeah. because well, that's that's what everyone says. But, you know, it's, it's got on the... HBO Max, so you can just watch it for free. Yeah, which I will. Well, you know, it suffers from what all the American Godzilla movies suffer from, and that it's it tries to explain Godzilla and put Godzilla in into a context and i just think that's a huge mistake i, I think that you you godzilla is a great big monster stomping all over the world yeah that's your story you know stop making it about climate change <laughs> well i did not care for um i mean the so the prior godzilla i, I thought was pretty decent uh, the one with uh quicksilver with in it cranston uh and brian cranston the, yeah okay oh it, it had quicksilver and uh scarlet witch in it so, um, but, <laughs> and, but I did not care for Kong Skull Island. Every time I, 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 I didn't hate it. I just, I just didn't think it was very good. I mean, it's kind of the same way I feel about the last Godzilla movie. Yeah. I, you I didn't know, I hate just, it, but just every time King Kong wasn't on the screen, I lost interest. Exactly. Well, and that's kind of the, the, the way I felt about every American made Godzilla film. Well, fair. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, all the way back to what Roland Emmerich's one with uh, Ferris Bueller. Oh, I just... <laughs> that's a guilty pleasure for me. I like that one. Well, I, you know, when Godzilla's on screen, I like that one. I like the little baby Godzillas. Yeah. Yeah. But they like to hide Godzilla until the end. Yeah. Well, that was the big thing with that one, right? That was Godzilla, which um, we're talking about the 1997 Godzilla. That was a lesson learned from um, 
you know, as far as toy releases, because they did they held back the toy releases until the movie came out because they didn't want to reveal what Godzilla looked like until the movie came out. And then they learned that, hey, once a movie comes out, people don't buy the toys. That's right. You buy them in advance. <laughs> you buy them in yeah. advance. Uh, and, and it hasn't happened since. Yeah, you know, I, I, I really do enjoy Godzilla. And, you know, I, I would love the uh, the uh, I love the American approach to budget and special effects. Mm-hmm. I just wish that we emulate a little bit more of the Japanese style of storytelling. And I think Godzilla agrees. <laughs> Look at Godzilla. He does agree. Did you guys see Shin Godzilla? Uh, I have not. No, I wanted to, though. Shin Godzilla is interesting. Um, it is... It is like a Godzilla movie mixed with a film about board meetings, um, <laughs> you know. And, and for a film with subtitles, it is like half the screen will be text sometimes because so many people are talking simultaneously. It's just a lot of reading. Um, it's interesting. It is definitely a different take on Godzilla. I, I would actually say, you know, for comparison's sake, I actually like the American the 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 Quicksilver Godzilla more than I enjoyed Shin Godzilla. But I will watch King of the Monsters before. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, and on March 18th, I took the half day off of work, even though they haven't announced when it's going to be released in the, during the day. Um, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice yeah. League, that's a Thursday, and I'm assuming it's a Thursday because they're going to try to release it at like 7 o'clock at like, you know, because like a normal movie or something, you know, the Thursday night preview screenings. But just in case they would drop it at noon, I'm taking off that word, day <laughs> at noon. Yeah. Uh, because I, I am going to see all four hours of Zack Snyder's Justice League that day. Hell or high water. Don't talk yeah. to me. I'm watching Zack Snyder's, <laughs> Zach watching Zack Snyder's Justice League. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, I Just thought that it. was interesting. It, I heard about it a couple weeks ago that that whole idea of splitting it across to making it a mini series that completely was thrown out, and it is a solid one movie. I don't know who threw that out, and that's the funny thing. Like, he's, you know, I, I don't know if that was his preference or their preference or what, because I'm sh- assuming HBO Max would have preferred to have a month worth of of episodes. Keep yeah, people so people back. can't subscribe for one month and then cancel. Yeah. Um, so, I'm, but I'm assuming he was just like, ah, I'm not editing that way. So, <laughs> can we? Well, can... It seems like it would be really hard to edit that way because if you're doing four separate hours, you've got to have a beginning, middle, and end for each hour. Yeah. And how do you do that when yeah. you've got a beginning, middle, and end over the course of one film? It would be different if it was filmed in that way, you know, or if it was right. four distinct yeah. uh, parts. But I mean, that being said, I've not seen. Obviously, none of us have seen the original Zack Snyder's Justice League, so I don't know. I don't know what got in their head that that was even possible, but uh, you know, I'll find out March 18th. But you know, they um... it kills me that you're taking the day off to watch a streaming movie. Yeah, that's what I am. Yes. I am watching the shit that out of it. That is hysterical. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the, yesterday on HBO Max, uh, they released The Little Things. I don't know if you guys have. I mean, I've it's, heard about it. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. I plan to see it this weekend. It's got Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto, kind of like a serial killer good. thriller. Yeah, yeah, I'm interested. It's gotten good. It's gotten good reviews. Um, Paul, I don't know because this is right up your alley. Have you watched Thirty Coins yet? I have seen the first two episodes. Um, okay, and I, I quite enjoy them. This. I, I, I yeah, really want to watch it. It looks good, but I have to dedicate time to watch it since it's subtitled. Well, and on you top know, of that, I, each episode is like a movie length. So they are. And I gotta say, I've watched the first two episodes as well. Um, the as someone who uh, 
I, I, I don't enjoy subtitles lately uh, because they seem to move too fast. It seems like, you know, current movie dialogue speed is super fast and, and they just flash up on the screen and then, and then they're gone. Um, but I will say I find the, the manner in which they subtitle 30 coins, uh, works really well. Number one, they're very, they're very visible on the screen. And sometimes the, the, the background is so bright, it's difficult to, you know, make out the, uh, uh, the text on the screen. In, on other shows and you know the, the speed in which things move as a guy who has bifocals <laughs> mm-hmm. uh that is that is super challenging so i gotta say i love the way they uh they subtitle 30 coins but beyond that i gotta tell you i am amazed at the talent on the screen the talent behind the camera and just how crazy fucked up that story is. Yeah, I mean it. It is. It is some ghosts of Rainsboro level bullshit. I. Uh, I I'm just. I, I'm. I'm thrilled at how twisted the story is. Yeah, truly yeah it's, it's a show. I. It's a show I really want to watch. I just. When it comes to TV, I tend to be doing other things, glance yeah. down, and a show that subtitles. I need to dedicate time to where I'm doing That's nothing right. but watch it because I yeah, commands attention, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and does, I just haven't right? found that time. There, there's definitely you know a mystery to it. There, I mean, in addition to the subtitles, you do have to kind of pay attention because they don't explicitly carve out everything for you. Um, right. So I, I, I enjoyed the first two episodes, and I will absolutely watch it. I was planning on giving it a little bit more time. That way, I know we sound like a bunch of forty-year-old, you know, men in our forties, um, but I, I wanted to give it a little bit more time so I didn't have to wait a week between episodes um, <laughs> and, and watch it like a, a normal person. I, I wanted to kind well, of wait I, to like watch a few in a row. I had I took a break from it because it was just a little too dark for me. You know, I mean, as much as I was enjoying it, I was just like, you know what? I just need to I need to take a breather, you know, and watch some Battlestar Galactica. You know, that's interesting to (laughs) me um, because I don't I find it. Yeah, I mean, I I find it uh, darker than like, I don't know, WandaVision. Uh, But, you know, I I, I don't find it. I find it. uh, I guess I don't find it like so dark that it's um, unsettling. Right. You know, it doesn't strike me like a millennium or a Hannibal. But uh it's it, regardless. I think we're we're saying Wayne, we recommend it, and yeah. uh, you know uh, I'm 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 looking forward to, to finishing off the season. I will say, you know, I recommend it if you enjoy horror movies. Yes. If you are not someone who is in, who enjoys horror movies, this is not a uh, a cross genre thing that you're going to enjoy. This is just right square in the middle of. I like to be scared. I like things that are creepy. This mm-hmm. is for you. Yes. Yeah, anything that deals with the 30 coins that uh, Judas was paid, I'm immediately yeah. hooked. Yeah. Yeah. And it does. I mean, it it feels very much in the center of uh, the Jim Butcher books, you know, the Dresden files, uh, you know, because the the Denarians feature so heavily in that in that series. Uh, it, it feels very much akin to that. I, 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 that. I love the show. It's yeah. really good. So you I know, also go ahead. really enjoy WandaVision. As do I. I think, you know, so WandaVision episode four came out, um, you know, yesterday, as of the time of this recording. And I will say, you know, my, uh, briefly, my opinion is that uh, it's my favorite episode of the series thus far. Yeah, I would agree. I would yeah. agree. I love when shows do the thing of showing 
the entire series from a different perspective and seeing how little things that happened actually fit into context. I don't know why I just love that trope and that's what this episode did for me. So yeah. And yet, and yet it didn't feel like a retread. You didn't feel like you were getting a clip show. You felt like you were getting a fresh perspective. Yeah. And, and a fun, you know, a, a extremely well done, you know, for the for, for people who were on the fence on the first three episodes, it's like, ah, oh, well, it feels a little different. It doesn't feel, you know, yes, I, know, I can tell there's an underlying mystery. This episode felt squarely in the realm of the MCU. Um, and for me, really kind of struck me as, as very X-Files, right? You know, there uh-huh. would be episodes of the X-Files where they'd spend like, you know, the first, I, I could almost see WandaVision, the series, as... An episode of the X Files or a two part of the X Files where yeah you, you know, could expect Scully and Mulder to show up right yeah, you could expect yeah. Scully and Mulder to show up but you know to, to to because we spent the first three episodes like what the hell's happening and now we're finding out what's happening from the other side and I just I really liked this episode yeah well, and I've been waiting the whole series for Cat Denny's character uh, Darcy to show up yeah because you have the hands for her I get it I really do it's like <laughs> on my list of. You know the list. You know if you if you had a list like that that are your freebies, she'd be like number one on that list. Well, let me tell you. You know, uh, social media is not your friend. Uh, oh when it no! Comes immediately, because I mean, when I, I what I have noticed is that when I wake up in the morning and I fire up Instagram, everyone's got stills from you know today's episode of Wandavision up there. So I mean, you literally have to just you know avoid that if you want to not be spoiled yeah and i I won't i won't open instagram twitter facebook any of that on a friday because i watch the episodes over lunch so until the afternoon no social media gets touched on fridays well you know i was used to doing that during mandalorian because you know people are people are animals um and I was not prepared to do that for WandaVision. It just didn't occur to me. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, well, yeah, I've, I've, I've had to start doing that. I don't mind the spoilers on Mandalorian because it's not a mystery. Well, but I still like, I, you know, like, for instance, I, I was would have been super ticked off had somebody spoiled Luke Skywalker for me in the final episode of, of this pro- prior season of Mandalorian. Yeah, I had it by the way before sports. I watched it. <laughs> you know, I, I would I would have been furious about that. So I you know, I, I I avoided those kinds of things with Mandalorian and now I'm having to do the same thing with WandaVision. And what ticks me off is that you don't have to put it in your image. Like uh uh which website? Nerdist, I think. Uh you know, put something on on their page and I'm like, God damn it. You know, you don't have to put the image out there because you can avoid reading the text of something, particularly if the word spoiler is there, but you know, for them to throw the image up to and, and ruin it for you just really ticks me off. Unfollow. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You're not wrong, but you know, even, even the show itself was spoiling the same day. Um, you know, which I'm not a fan of like, but like you said, you just kind of have to avoid social media until you've watched yeah. it. Usually, you know, people are, you can give it to a Sunday or a Monday, give it a few days, but no, right. they give it not. a day, <laughs> give it a day for Christ's sake. That's what ticks me off. So, I mean, I don't want to wake up the morning it drop, you know, it drops at what? 1201 in the morning. I get up at six and it's already spoiled. That's yeah. what ticks me off. Give it yeah. a day. Well, and I'm super aware of that when I'm replying to people and things. So like yeah. somebody was uh, commenting about the show on my feet and I 
when I reply back, I didn't even mention the actress's name. I just said I was excited to see the act, see a certain actress show up because I don't want to be the one that spoils it for yeah. someone. Well, and I try to be, you know, when I'm uh, posting stuff to the IOM Geek site, I am very cognizant of the fact that it might be the first time somebody sees something. So, you know, I, I am, I try not to post anything that would be spoilery. I do the same thing with comic books. I do the same thing with media. I wait several days before that kind of stuff goes up because I just think that's considerate. I think other folks are just happy to be clickbait. And I, I'm just, I'm not happy. I, I, I am, that is not the kind of site that I want us to be. I want to be a place that, that welcomes the surprises. You know, oh, instead of just revealing the surprises. Good grief. I, you know, particularly right now in pandemic when we're all locked down. Fuck. One of the few joys you get is being surprised by your television show. Social media, uh, you know, geek sites or whatnot should not be spoiling that for people. That There, there it is. I've said it. That's my manifesto. <laughs> well, I, I genuinely liked episode four i guess we're not going to spoil it here um well, I, we can because we can. this will come out several days after true, it, true. it has dropped i mean uh, what I, I i love that we continue the story of monica rambeau from captain marvel um i am surprised you know she she i, I thought the way they had her wake up you know how she reassembles you know after the snap is reversed I love that she's in the hospital. I love that, you know, you know, time, you know, stood still for her and five years has passed for everybody else. And I love that she's running into people who have just reassembled. Yeah, in yeah. fact, there's a scene in the hospital where she ran, bumps into this guy and the way it was shot, it felt like he was somebody. It felt like he was somebody that I needed to see. And so I rewound that shot like three times to see if I recognized the guy. He wasn't anybody that I could tell. But I, I just the, the way the camera moved across, I'm like, oh, I, I bet he's somebody. Who is that guy? You know, anyway. you know, I love that scene because we have seen some of the impact of people just coming back out right. of nowhere. But it never felt as visceral as having it happen in a hospital. Yeah. And having like people appear in beds and the hospital is overwhelmed suddenly. Right. right. I mean, and yeah, the, the guy going, I got to call my wife. Now, has he got to call his wife because he just came back, or does he got to call his wife because she just came back? I mean, that was the story I wanted to follow. You know, Exactly. I, it felt I, more visceral and real yeah. than any of the other times we've seen it. Well, and I think one of the reasons why is that you know, TV is, is, is such an intimate form of media, right? You know, that, that you, know, you invite it into your home, much more so than movies. Uh, you get to live with it longer. I mean, that, that, that scene went on longer than it might have lived in a movie because of the movie, you've only got 90 minutes to two hours, unless you're Infinity War and you've got three. But <laughs> uh, I, I, I really enjoyed that. Now, the thing that I was, I was sort of amused by is that, you know, she's been gone for five years. Uh, the next scene we see is she is she is back at Sword, and uh, it's been three weeks since she's returned. I believe they say, and I'm like, huh? I guess uh, I, I guess three weeks is all you need to catch up with your daughter uh, after you know five years of being away, and then you're immediately going to go out on assignment. I just I, I just thought that was sort of interesting. I would think you'd want to spend a little bit more time at home with the kid. Wait, she doesn't well, have a daughter, I, does she? Does she rec Does she does, mention that? Isn't Monica? Doesn't Monica Rambeau have a have a teenage daughter that we met in Captain Marvel? Monica Rambeau no. is the is the daughter. Oh. Yeah, she, her oh. mother was the one who. Oh yeah, who passed right. away. that's the the way that yep. age works. Sorry yep. about that. <laughs> so the mother who died. Okay, boy, I'm I'm so behind. <laughs> Maria Rambeau was the friend of Captain yes. Marvel who passed away. Yep. 
in in that time period. So I mean, um, I liked that. You know, Spider Man mentioned the blip, uh, Spider Man yeah. Far From Home, but this is this was interesting to see people coming back. I thought that was a great scene. Um, well, love- and it struck you when they deal with things like she was in the hospital for her mom to visit her, and her mom eventually got out, got better, and died during that whole five years, and she missed all of it. It's like that. That's a gut punch for me. Yeah. Did you keep expecting that the director of uh, Sword was a scroll? I kept expecting when they walked. I into was that too. Room, yeah. That he was going to scroll out on her. <laughs> I was like, yeah. E. <laughs> I, I, I think that may still happen. Maybe they're saving yeah. that reveal for Secret Invasion. But I got that strong impression. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, what's funny about this episode is, you know, the, clearly the the aesthetics of the show take inspiration from Tom. King's vision book but the story for anyone who's us anyone who's been reading comics for as long as we have we all knew this was House of M um you know kind of kind of felt well, I, I I mean I, I definitely it's been hinted right that Wanda certainly is responsible for what's happening in that city or town well and West Coast Avengers too I mean uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of a, a melding of of all of that sort of uh, Wanda and Vision storyline. Well, but I have to say I didn't get the scope of it until this episode. Right. Yeah. When you find out it's not just that town, it's that the rest of the world doesn't even remember that town. Mhm. Yeah. Well, and um which you know, there uh, you mentioned the West Coast Avengers and you know the 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 two sons yeah, a, a couple of and I read I, I saw um, a video online. I think it was Screen Crush that that mentioned something that didn't even occur to me because I will admittedly say I did not read the original run of you know uh, Wanda and Vision's kids where she imagined them. I obviously read Avengers Disassembled and obviously read House of M, but I had forgotten that Mephisto had something to do with it. Yeah, um, yeah. and you know a couple of episodes they they made mention of you know. Um, this one character that kind of the head of the uh, the neighborhood division of women, whatever you know, the, the one planning the uh, the the talent show, you know, yeah. they, they kept saying, "Oh well, the devil's in the details," and they said, "Well, everything revolves around Helen or whatever the character's name is," and you know, everyone you know in unison, this is for the children, and so the, it people are starting to feel like maybe that character is Mephisto in disguise, especially mm. because her picture is not one of the ones on the board uh, of people who are there there's only two characters that were not identified as real people in episode four um and one of them is agatha the the neighbor agatha right and the other one yeah, is this, agnes agnes sorry and the other one is this other is this blonde lady um whose name escapes me um and you know people are saying perhaps it's because that's mephisto Mm-mm. One of the other things I found interesting was the commercials that we see in the show. They saw them outside as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I didn't expect the Hydra soap commercial and all of that to be something that they would see when they're right. watching what's going on inside the, the dome. But that's part of it, too. And uh, the character I'm referring to, sorry, is Dottie. She's played by Emma Caulfield from uh, Buffy. Uh-huh. So we'll see, but yeah, I, I, it, there's so much more to the mystery, and I, you know, as many questions well, as this episode answered, it also you know asked. Is this supposed to be just a one season and done? 
I don't know. Um, I don't know that I've seen announcement of WandaVision Season 2. Yeah. I think they don't want to let us know yet because yeah, you're probably it right. ties directly into uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So I think they're going to keep something secret until after that. Yeah, well, there, well we I also don't know if Vision's actually alive or not, you know, or if he's just well, reanimated from Wanda. Yeah, there and, was and a Wanda... scene in this episode that made me really question it. Well, and, you know, when I think the scene you're talking about is where you see an unadjusted view of his head and you can see where the the, the Infinity Stone or whatever has been torn off of his head. Yeah. Yep. And, and all and of he... his color's gone. Right. You know, so he looks dead. And I mean, that was just kind of a heartbreaking scene. I'm like, oh man I, I just you know it's 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 interesting to me how they can make that when vision dies in the avengers film i didn't really feel a lot about it because i really didn't had not connected uh much with wanda and vision in the films mm-hmm. but we've spent so much time with them in wandavision and we've you know, we've really gotten to see how charming they are together, right? And so when it cuts to Vision's dead head, it was really sort of heartbreaking. I mean, I, I felt that so much more than watching Vision die in the film. Uh, well, I, 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 I just thought it was exceptionally well done. Well, and the other thing is in the film, so many people died. I kept thinking right. they'd just all be brought back. Yeah, you're numb so, to it. Exactly. And he wasn't one that was brought back, right. but I was expecting it. Yeah, I, it's such a good series. And I, I, I am, even though I know how the comics have ended, that is no guarantee that that's how the stories will end, how, yeah. how the TV series will end. Because um, we know that you know the MCU is informed by the comic books, but is not tied to the comic books. So I am, I am on the edge of my seat as to where the story is going to go. Same here. And, you and know, by the way, Jimmy Woo, we had this whole conversation. Oh, we didn't, didn't talk Jimmy about Jimmy Woo. Woo. <laughs> I love Jimmy Woo. Yeah, I, I was super excited about Jimmy Woo. I'm like, <laughs> I need an Agents of Atlas show now. Right. So, <laughs> I had I had him spoiled. The, oh, did you? Uh, because uh, on episode, I guess it was episode two that his voice was in. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they didn't remove the credit for it on one of the foreign languages. And so it hit a article online about who that was and that it was because uh, he was an Ant-Man as right. well. So it was nice to see. I, I, I really did enjoy that. And like I said, I need an Agents of Atlas show now. Get on that. I, I would watch it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we mentioned that uh, Brian Michael Bendis, you know, he, he was kind of responsible for Avengers Disassembled and House of M, both of which kind of informed this series. And you know his exclusivity with DC Comics finally. You know I shouldn't say finally, but ran out this week. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know I guess it's not been renewed. Not renewed, uh, which is not surprising given that he did not he his uh, work on the Superman books did not did not lead to a bump uh, in the sales for those books. I mean there there is there is no discernible uh, lasting bump. From his run on it to the prior creators run, Dan Jurgens, uh, and I, you know, <laughs> I yeah. think that that 
the the Bendis magic does not necessarily translate to the DC properties. Well, he still signed up to do Justice League, right? But we don't know for how long. You know, he, yeah. he signed up to do the book, but you know, he's doing Justice League as part of the Infinite Frontier. Um, yeah. But I guess he he's open to do work for both companies as well as independent work again. Well, uh, and I think the important thing to note is that his exclusive deal apparently was huge. Um, yeah. You know, uh, in benefits and pay. Uh, I am sure that he he took it in the shorts when that deal lapsed. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think his best work at DC was over in the Wonderline. I uh-huh. think maybe that's where he should have stuck. I just Though, think you know, that's not going were... to bring the money to DC. I I agree with you, Paul. The sales weren't there in Wonder, and I yeah. actually think his best work was in the Walmart books. You know, yeah. with his Agreed. the Batman story with him and Nick Darrington. Am I am I getting that right? Yep. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was great. But I, I think Bendis is showing a talent for writing uh, a really compelling DC all-age sort of story. You know, in, in the Naomi uh, books, the you know, in the, in the Wonder books in general. I mean, he brought us Jenny Hex. Um, I, uh, I, I think that the problem is, is that that stuff doesn't sell. That's not New Avengers. Yeah. You know, that's not X-Men. Um, and, and that's a real niche market. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious to see what he's going to do. Cause I, I, you know, he's like a Cylon. He has a plan. Huh. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I'm curious to see what happens with, yeah, with for the best stuff. content. That's where they should focus him. But that doesn't, those sales don't meet the paycheck that he gets. Right. Yeah. Agreed. So I'm curious. I mean, I'm hopeful for his justice league book. Um, obviously his Superman book didn't inspire much hope. Um, I didn't, it does, doesn't a, deserve that hope, but it's Justice League. I need him to have a stronger editor. Yeah. Because um, there are some of the things that he's doing in his books that irritate the living tar out of me. He does these great big, giant, double-page spreads, which is great for the artist. Um, but the problem is, is that he, he, he fills it up with so much dialogue. He, yeah. doesn't, he, he has really walked away from allowing the artist to tell the story, and that's, that, that is super annoying to me. Uh, and he, and it would be fine if he did it every now and again, but it's every goddamn issue of every goddamn book he writes, and it, it's it, it drove me crazy on Young Justice, it drove me crazy on Superman, it drove me crazy on Action Comics. Well, yeah. Bendis's strong point for me has always been his dialogue, right, and his interaction between characters, which is why I have a feeling I'll enjoy his Justice League way more than his Superman. I thought his dialogue in Superman was good. I just didn't like the stories he was telling. And I, I don't think, think they were badly written stories. They're just stories I didn't like. I villain. I gotta say, I feel like where he went off the rails in both Action Comics and Superman was that he created new villains for Superman instead of reimagining existing villains and yeah. reinvigorating those villains. Because it is so hard uh, to feel uh, challenged by new villains who just come out of nowhere. You know, for, for the writer's arc, uh, when you've got a character like Superman with so much backstory, um, and, and I know the writer wants that wants the credit for creating something fresh and new, but create something fresh and new with something that already exists in that rich background of the character. And all they do is artificially tie them into the hero's past somehow. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. You know, and Bendis did that twice <laughs> in uh-huh. his run uh-huh. and it's like come on you can't repeat the same trick in the same run unless you've been uh-huh. with the book for a hundred plus issues 
Well, and that's kind of the problem of having the same writer wrote, write both of the major Superman titles, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think they would have been better off, you know, having him do action or having him do Superman, but not having him do both. Because yeah. both, the, even though one was a story based in Metropolis and one was a story based in space, they both told the same kind of story. Mm-hmm. My preference for both Superman and Spider-Man is that the books have different focuses and different feels. So if you're not into one type of story about the character, then one of the other titles about the book is the same. So this book is focused on Clark and his interaction at the Daily Planet. And you're going to get some Superman action, but you're going to get more of that versus this is the big Superman in space story in another book. Yeah. I agree. I'm hopeful for this new Superman art, you know, this new Superman book, you know, the new creative team. We'll see. I don't know. Um, You know, we, we... We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Future State here in a minute, but um, before we get into this week's books, just because we're talking about Bendis, you know, and, and, and House of M and all that stuff, uh, Marvel announced this week this Heroes Reborn crossover that's coming up out of the pages of what's currently happening in Jason Aaron's Avengers book with the Phoenix. Apparently the Phoenix is going to, I don't know, revital, you know reboot the Marvel Universe but with you know, with the Avengers never never having existed, um, you know, and and we'll see heroes and villains kind of merge together to create new characters, uh, you know. And speaking of retreading the same ideas, uh-huh. I mean, it's House of M. Only Phoenix says no more Avengers. It's House of M. And literally every Marvel crossover, right? Every Marvel crossover is, other than you know the the stuff related to the Infinity stuff. I shouldn't say this. Many Marvel crossovers are somehow, let's take characters and squish them together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the last one was something like that, like the Infinite Infinity Warps or something like that. Um, it just seems like, I don't know. I, it, it's it's odd to me that they, they keep going back to that well of, uh, of same, same, same. Well, the I, sadly... You know, while Marvel has got a couple of really, really strong performers over there in terms of writing, a lot of their horses are, are played out. You know, yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the guys, you know, running the race, you know, just don't have any legs. And I'm going to see if I can find one more metaphor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like Jason Aaron is done. I do too. I that makes me sad. You know, because you you said something to me earlier this week paul that you know you haven't enjoyed anything in the jason aaron run on on avengers and i got to say the same i feel like he's got some great ideas but they're not executing mm-hmm. um i i i love the idea of the prehistoric avengers yeah, i've hated I everything i've lo- read of the prehistoric avengers i loved the one single issue that i read that did not make me want to read any of the rest of the story but the origin of the prehistoric phoenix that was an incredible issue that was really good as a standalone that did not make me want to read the rest of the story at all, though. I just enjoyed that one standalone issue. I love the idea of Savage Avengers. Hated the way that book went. Yep. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, Which sucks because Jason... I know that wasn't him, but like, damn, I, I really wanted to like that book. Yeah. It, it had so much potential. And so did this Avengers book. Um, you know, great it creative built... teams, great great team you know avengers team and man i just i keep trying and i keep thinking why did i try it's just not good and you know the fact that this you know first of all 
the the freaking Khonshu thing, which was a big nothing burger, turned into yeah. this Phoenix arc, the, uh, you know, X-Men versus Avengers, which is like, no, sh- uh, for, for, you know, for the control of the Phoenix, like, hold on, this just happened like six years ago, which is yeah. now turning into <laughs> you know, this, you know, in, in this basically, ma- you know, alternate universe mashup of characters. And it's like, well, hold on, didn't this just happen three years ago? And it's like... it's disappointing to me because I am a big Jason Aaron fan, but I feel like Jason Aaron is not right. He's maybe he's expended his creative. Well, as far as superhero stories is concerned, I don't know. Well, or the Marvel universe. I mean, maybe he's told all of his best Marvel stories and he needs to either go do, you know, more self-published work or he needs to go work for DC or something. I just, I, I feel like he's, he's told his best Marvel stories. I feel like I'm getting Marvel Universe burnout. The universe has gotten so convoluted. Every single crossover is over the top and ridiculous. And it feels like they need to just get back to basics. They need to not have 15 Avengers teams. You know, I miss the days when there's one Avengers book, maybe two, because one's on another coast. They need to get back to two or three X-Men books max. Yeah. Um, again, you know, things like that. They just need to go back to basics instead of flooding the market with books to try to win that market share. Just just make good books. <laughs> <laughs> like that's all that's all I'm asking. Just make good books. And don't get me wrong, you know, we're not talking about it this week, but I adore Strange Academy. We talked about it last week in the funnies. Um, you know, I haven't read the new Iron Fist book. Maybe I'll like it, probably not. Um, you know, but outside of Thor, you know, outside of the random book, um, I, Marvel is, I am enjoying the books that are not tied to the main Marvel continuity more so than I'm enjoying anything that is. So I don't know, which, you know, kind of defeats the point of the Marvel universe. With the exception of Fantastic Four, you know, yeah. I don't think I'm reading any of the major, you know, tentpole sort of, uh, comics there at Marvel. I'm reading you know. Amazing Spider-Man and Fantastic Four. Yeah. Yeah, everything else I'm reading is sort of, you know, on the edge. So it's disappointing because I, I want an Avengers book in my life, and there's just not one out there being written that I that I enjoy. Yeah, and I'm kind of tired of, you know, anyone can be an Avenger. I always like the Avengers as the, this is the big team, you know? Right. Not the, we've got Secret Avengers, we've got Savage Avengers, we've got Mighty Avengers, we've Anyone can call themselves Avengers. You got the pet Avengers. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, well, you know, apparently, you know, while anybody can be an Avenger, not everybody can be a Teen Titan. As we see in the other history of the DC Universe, issue number two this week. Uh, uh, did we? I didn't. <laughs> you, well, did, you didn't read it, did you, Paul? I didn't read it, and apparently Wayne dropped from the call, so who knows what's going on? Oh, is that what happened to Wayne? I just figured he had nothing to say. Maybe he just had to poop. I don't know. Huh. Yeah, I wow. mean, poop happens. You never know. I mean, you would think he would mute us instead of hanging up on us, but things happen. Um, well, since all three books involve talking to Wayne, Aaron, why don't I'm going to use Theater of the Imagination. Tell me about the other history of the DC Universe number two. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know... The other history of the DC Universe issue one uh, was from the point of view of Jefferson Pierce, uh, Black Lightning, mm-hmm. and was was very much his journey through not just the DC Universe through you know the 60s, 70s, and 80s, 
but was also his journey through our universe, right? You know, through, you know, various, uh, you know, aspects of the civil rights movement and, you know, how he felt uh, being the, the hero who, you know, he was the black hero, but he wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't the green lantern, uh, John Stewart, you know, that everyone, you know, noticed and talked about and, you know, he had some issues with, uh, so it was, it was, it was a very much of a certain flavor, uh, that you got in that book. I really enjoyed that book. I really enjoyed the black lightning point of view. And I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect from issue two, uh, uh, of the other history of the DC universe. And this is from the perspective of Mal and Bumblebee. The yeah, uh, I liked having two perspectives. It was really interesting to hear them kind of argue at each other. Right? Yes. The bickering. Yeah. I, I Wayne, I, I'm really curious you know, to hear your perspective on this. I enjoyed very much the different tone that this book t- took not to diminish anything from the first issue. Cause I thought the, the first issue was, was awfully powerful, but it, I was surprised at the tone of this book. And I was surprised at the journey we went on with both of these characters. I like this issue a lot more than the first one. The first one was intentionally a difficult read and you were dealing with a character that was very bitter and his bitterness came through in what he was saying but more than that, it came through in how he was viewing the other heroes. And I was highly amused at how uh, Bumblebee describes uh, Black Lightning in this book. You know, she she says, you know, it's like your cranky uncle got superpowers. And I'm <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's why I enjoyed this issue more is it felt like the first issue because of his bitterness, he was tearing down all of the heroes. It didn't feel like that in this issue. If you got some bitterness towards individual characters, but there were ones I felt deserve the bitterness. I don't mind tearing down Roy Harper because I I've never cared for the character, but the hypocrisy of the character in some cases back in those stories, I like seeing that called out. But you see, these are characters that aren't bitter at all of the other heroes. You know, there's disappointment. There is some of that, but you get to see them what they think of the characters and you don't immediately get Mal blaming them for everything that went wrong. You get him. He's coming to the realization. He was never really that good. And I enjoyed how they like Nightwing, Dick Grayson, they give him a ton of respect in this book as they're sharing their times through the teen Titans where they don't necessarily give that to some of the other Titans. He's the one that they, they seem to completely respect in the story. And while you see the struggle that you get, the racial struggle a lot, and you see the interactions with real world events, it just was an easier read for me. Yeah. And I I think I think one of the things that was challenging about the first issue is just Jefferson Pierce was so angry at the system. Right. Uh, So angry with with. Yeah, you you could feel. I I, I thought I thought, I thought the writer did a tremendous job of making you feel his frustration, right, and his yes. otherness. And I think he does a similar job here in a, in, in being in demonstrating that 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 effectiveness because I very much felt the otherness that uh, Mal and Bumblebee have because they were just kind of 
these two characters off to the side. Not really Teen Titans, you know? Uh, you know, and Mal is certainly kind of viewed as team manager. He's the guy who's going to keep the equipment ready for, for the Titans. And yeah. what I, I, and so I, from that point of view, I think, I think it's a, a very effective story. I also was admiring how, uh, real life events were woven in like the Atlanta, uh, serial killings. Yeah. Um, that one was like, you know, reading, I was reading it and I went out to look up and read the Wikipedia article on the real life events. Well, and if, if you're, if you're a mind hunter watcher on Netflix, uh, this is one of the murders that they investigate. Um, I, I, uh, I, I, I very much appreciated that level of realism and, and, and asking why the hell didn't Superman come down and take care of this shit? You know, why doesn't, wh- why doesn't Batman come and figure this stuff out? And it, you know, it, 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 it asks those questions and tries to answer some of that, not defend, not defending, uh, Batman and Superman and those guys for not getting involved, but accusing them and, you know, finding right. some answers there that, that aren't particularly, uh, comfortable and warm answers i i I, and here's my difference between this issue and the first one the first one did some of that but it immediately painted the heroes in horrible light especially like superman yeah because it was a point of view story exactly yeah but in this one bumblebee tries to understand why she doesn't just accuse or blame she tries to get into their head and there are some things about the pre-crisis stories Uh that i've always hated I hated the Supergirl as a secret weapon. Uh-huh. I and they deal with that in here, and but they don't just call it out and call it stupid. Well, she tries to understand why he did it, and, and tries to empathize with them. And I gotta say, I think that is that aspect of the story in particular, the Superman Supergirl relationship, where she is so. At, at one point, you know, in her narrative, she is so uh, judgmental of how Superman protected her and sequestered her and kept her a secret, you know, and then understands only at the time that Kara dies in the crisis, uh, and hears, you know, witnesses Superman's pain. Does she understand why Superman did what he did, that he was, he was protecting the only other person that survived from his home planet that he, he didn't want to risk losing her. And I mean, and, and, you know, she doesn't know that because she interviewed Superman. It's what she observed. I just thought that was so beautifully written. And what, and, and going back to what I was saying about how it interweaves real life and then, you know, a lot of the pre-crisis DC stories, what this does so effectively is it explains those things. It explains why the Titans tr- treated Mal the way he did, the way they did. It explains why Kara was treated by Superman the way she was. I, it's not making excuses. It is explaining what happened and why from these characters' points of view. And I just find that amazing. And so this, this book serves a number of different purposes. One is showing us how othered people uh, respond to circumstances we witnessed from our point of view, right? So we're getting a different perspective, but it's also acknowledging our history in the DC universe and telling those stories and, and bringing them up to date without changing what happened without adjusting that continuity. I very much enjoyed this book. One of the things I've struggled with is 
in the first issue, you had a lot of, you know, you blame Superman, you blame this, you blame that. I have a hard time believing that in a world with Superman, Superman wouldn't ignore these neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. But if you're telling a story that deals with the real world, the heroes can't have gotten involved. Right. So it's I struggle with that whole, you know, well, you you just ignore them because Superman wouldn't. Maybe some of the heroes would. Superman wouldn't. And I've always I've had that kind of struggle with this re-envisioning, but I didn't have that with this book. I mean, Superman didn't necessarily overlook anything. Well, I am very excited for issue three, uh, which features uh, Katana as the point of view character. I am I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm definitely still on board. I, I didn't pick it up. I'm going to wait till I, I think I'm going to wait till a sale of some kind, you know, issue one I didn't love. Um, and with, um, you know, after I mentioned the last week, DC, you know, I called it mediocre state, right? DC, <laughs> DC's future state, because I, I wasn't, you know, I was struggling with it. And so I just didn't, you know, I wasn't in the mood to pick up too many $6 books this week. But I will say I picked up uh, uh, Dark Detective. Future State, Dark Detective, uh, from DC Comics, and you know Wayne had already read issue one, and I I purchased it, just never had actually read it, and so I finally got around to reading it, and I will say, um, you know, I Wonder Woman issue two hasn't come out yet. I guess that one's monthly, not biweekly. But you know, previously Wonder Woman was my favorite Future State book, but I actually think the Dark Detective, maybe my my new uh, favorite Future State book. This book is fantastic and the art by dan mora is gorgeous um i I really like this book wayne yeah i uh i was happy you finally gave it a read because out of all of the future state books this one is the one that i've enjoyed the most you know and i've enjoyed a couple of them a lot and mostly some of the batman related titles but this one is bruce wayne dealing with the fact that they tried to kill him and everyone thinks he's dead you know, this is not a Batman that has all of the gadgets. This is a Batman that is without everything against, mm-hmm. you know, impossible odds and trying to get back to basics. What I find interesting, the only thing I will say about the current, the future state, right? Um, Gotham has become very futuristic, right? Very Batman beyond level of futuristic. And in this specific issue, they refer to... Um, Two years. It's been two, a few, like I think, two years since the Joker War, um, and the fact that God, I, they, now they have alluded to something has happened in order to make Gotham this futuristic. Some type of you know deal was made to technically enhance all of Gotham and make it look like Batman Beyond. Um, but it feels this book definitely feels kind of like an Elseworlds book, like a like a Dark Knight Returned or something like that. More so than it feels a natural progression of what was happening in the Batman books. But with that, you know, when you take that when you take it in, in that context, um, I find that I, I I truly enjoyed it. Uh, but you know, I read Nightwing. I read um, a couple of other books that are also set in this Gotham that just didn't connect with me. But this and the next Batman didn't connect with me but this one definitely does yeah see one of the other books i read that was connected to all this was the batman superman oh i didn't read that one and it i had the obvious question okay how does superman let this happen you know why doesn't superman step in and that's what they try to answer in batman superman 
is Superman shows up in Gotham, sees what's becoming. You know, this is before they try to kill Batman. Mm-hmm. So Superman shows up and sees what's happening and asks, why didn't you call me in, Bruce? And they start to deal with why Superman doesn't do something about Gotham because he tries. Yeah. And, you know, there's one of the things that um, yeah, that we're referring to is the magistrate is kind of this. Think of it. If I would if I were to compare Dark Detective to anything, I would compare it to RoboCop. Um you know, if the magistrate is is this elite police force that has um, both human and mechanical police officers that are harder on vigilantes than they are on actual criminals, um, to the point that they you know they're setting up traps to capture all the vigilantes, and, and you know, in addition to the implementation of the magistrate, you have this overall technical enhancement that makes Gotham very futuristic. Uh, and, you know, kind of an Akira, Batman Beyond look to it, you know, with the, the motorcycles that leave the trails of lights behind them, that kind of thing. Um, this book is beautiful, uh, beautifully uh, drawn by Dan Mora. Um, great writing. Uh, you know, it's funny because normally I remember the writer's name more than the artist's name. Mariko Tamaki. <laughs> um, but I, I, I really like this book. Uh, I, I yeah. highly recommend Dark Detective. It is, I know this isn't saying much. It's the best Batman book of the Future State books. It's because it's also the only good one. Um, but I, well, I really what like other it. book are you going to get Batman with a uh, paranoid roommate? Yeah, who <laughs> shoots his TV? Well, because in in Future Gotham, you know, in, in the Future State Gotham, everything is, uh, you know, they've they've kind of gotten rid of keys. Everything's um, thumbprint or or you know, I. I scan or whatever um face scan facial recognition um and but you know bruce is supposed to be dead and so and the the magistrate is looking for him and so he he lives with this paranoid schizophrenic um conspiracy theorist who you know kind of still does things old school because he's he thinks everyone's watching him yeah and He's actually right. He's actually right. Uh, it, it's it's a good book. I, I got to say, it, it is a damn good book. I'm glad that I, you know, that Wayne, you gave me, because I, I, I'm still a little bit behind on some of my Future State books. Um, I, I read Aquaman this week. I would recommend against it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I read Nightwing this week. I would also recommend against it. Uh, but I had not yet read Dark Detective, and so I'm glad I got caught up on these issues. Now, my only concern about these Future State books is that Future State is only a two-month event. My hope is that despite the fact that a lot of these books were already planned and they're just finally releasing them, um, is that we get some resolution over these two storylines, that it's not just, you know, they're releasing what they had and, you know, we're going to get to issue four of Dark, De- Dark Detective and it's going to just not end the story. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that what we'll get over, that we'll get some type of resolution to this storyline since Future State is just a temporary event. Yeah, I would be so pissed. If they oh, God, I would be out. so mad. So mad. But Future State, Dark Detective, recommended. And, you know, in a, in addition, a book I'm going to recommend. Um, we we hadn't talked about it on the podcast, but we talked about it offline. Um, Image is relaunching a superhero universe. Kind of, you know, when, when Image first launched um, Savage Dragon, Wetworks, Spawn, Wildcats, even... Um, you know they were they were loosely tied together uh, and um, Shadowhawk were were kind of loosely tied together in the superhero universe. They took 
they, they took place separately, but you would still see kind of bits cross over into each other. Savage Dragon would appear in Shadowhawk, Spawn would appear, you know, in a different book, that kind of thing. And so, but they've gotten away from that, you know, over the years. Uh, but they've announced that they were kind of revitalizing their superhero universe again. And the, the start of that comes out um, in February. I think, I think it's next week, or maybe it's in two weeks. Uh, but we got an advanced look at Radiant Black from Kyle Higgins and Marcelo Costa. Um, Kyle and- Higgins being the guy who's currently writing uh, Rise of Ultraman. Yes. And uh, you, know, you might know him from his college thesis, which was the short film The League, uh, featuring, you know, uh, the, documenting the, the history of the superhero labor union in, what, 1950s Chicago, I think? I think so. Yeah. That sounds interesting. I, haven't, I didn't know anything about that. Check it out on uh, YouTube. <laughs> big fan of his Power Rangers run. Yeah. yeah, he also did a ton of great night. You know, he did Nightwing um, when Nightwing relaunched um, as part of it was in 2011, whatever that relaunch was called. Um, yeah, I jumped on because Nightwing was one of his favorite characters, and you could feel it in the writing. Yeah, um, you know, he, he's done a you know a ton of work at, with DC Comics. Um, you know, and, and he his mo- he's most recently um, really grasped onto the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers from. Uh, boom studios he wrote he kind of launched that book um and is it's his work on that book that kind of drew him to this character radiant black and so wayne you know i I kind of would love to hear your thoughts on radiant black as a mighty Morphin power rangers fan yeah so i didn't know what to expect out of this book i mean we saw the character design i thought it looked really cool it does look very power rangers inspired costume uh but going in I didn't expect there to be so much character building before you actually see the costume. You know, the, you spend almost all of the first issue getting to know this main character. You know, nothing happens until at least halfway through the book from the hero standpoint. So I like that a lot. I like building up the character. I can relate to the character in some ways. You know, the character is someone who wants to be a writer. You know, and we were not going to give spoilers away on this because the book's not even out yet. Right. But I just really, I understood where the character was coming from. And that made me like the character more before any of the superhero stuff happened. Yeah, The I think... art, I think, is a perfect fit for this type of story. Yeah, I think the costume design is great and the art perfectly fits the costume design. And the powers are interesting, and I'm looking forward to understanding them more. Yeah, you know, um, so the art by Marcelo Costa reminds me a lot of Invincible. You know, kind of similar character designs and, and yeah, I can see that facial structures and things like that. You know, I, I obviously, just like us, the less you know, the better. Going in, um, I you know, I just heard that this was coming out, and then Image sent us a preview copy, and I jumped on it because I. I I'm excited about the idea of this superhero mm-hmm. universe, uh, but I didn't really know anything about it. So the less you know going in, the better, other than the fact that this is, um, you know, a, a brand new superhero. You can jump in on issue one, and this is, you know, the start of his origin story. And you've got a gorgeous Mike Cho cover. Oh, it's so gorgeous. That cover is great. And I like Wayne, I love the costume design. I think that the the costume design is great, and so many times, I mean, you you see a costume design, you're like, eh, blech, you know. I, I think I think this is spot on. Agreed. It's yeah. a, I, I, 
it's it, it struck i'm struggling to talk about it in in the fact that we're trying not to spoil anything about it um, right but you know i will say the book is is gorgeous it's well written um it's got heart behind it uh, you know mm-hmm. and you can tell how much heart is in in it without even reading the essay at the back but once you right. get to the essay at the back by Carl Kyle Higgins, you can see that, you know, this is a very personal work for him. Um, and I guess the only thing I'll say is that the character is kind of a down on his luck writer. Writers um, write about writers. Yeah, writers yeah. write about writers. Um, and so, you well, know, and the dialogue is so good. I mean, yeah. the dialogue, a, each character feels like they have their own voice. If this is the foundation that Image is going to build its superhero uh, universe on, I think it's it's off to a strong start. I, I, I think this is a, a big thumbs up on the first issue. Uh, I'm eager to see where it goes. Okay. Hey, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, kind of a lighter week next week, actually. So we have Future State continuing with um, the other book that I mentioned, Wonder Woman <laughs> does come out next week. Future State issue t- or Wonder Woman issue two. We also get Future State um, Superman of Metropolis issue two. Uh, now I was about to say, did we like that book enough to pick up issue two? I think I'm out. I think I'm out on it. Yeah. Okay. I think I think I'm out of all the Superman books in Future State. To be perfectly honest, with the exception of the Wonder Woman title. I haven't. It's what's funny yeah. enough is I haven't actually read the Worlds at War. Uh, Worlds of War. Uh, you, it's you terrible. It was bad. It is terrible. Yeah. Well, damn. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So in addition to future, that's pretty much it next week. Um, no, very light week, at least, you know, from what I can tell on Comixology. And Radiant Black is scheduled to be released on February 10th. So we, we actually have a, a, an additional week yeah. before that. Releases. I'm glad we didn't spoil anything. Yeah. <laughs> Other than it's really good and you should read it. Yes, Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, uh, we want to know what you thought about this week's books and next week's books and all the books in between. Give us a call, 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you could win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. Uh, Also, if you haven't had a chance yet, make sure you listen to last week's Funny Book Awards. We talk about our favorites of 2020. Give us your feedback on the phone number that Aaron just mentioned, or hit us up on social media, IOMGeek on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. What a deal. Hey, guys. Let's read some good books next week, too. Well, we'll see. Oh, well, okay. All right. We don't don't really control that, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all have a good one. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. Mm-hmm.